please stand, if able, for the reading of God's word. John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Taking a look this morning at this well-known teaching from Jesus. It's the last of his I am sayings in John's gospel. Uh, it spoke in the context of the Last Supper, the Upper Room Discourse, John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. It all happens in one night. It all happens in the Upper Room. And uh, so what's happening here is it's happening at the same time that Jesus uh, offered the Last Supper, at the same time that he washed his disciples' feet. All that is taking place in this context. And Jesus is saying here, as, as you just heard, that he is the vine. And that we, if you are a Christian, are the branches. He says that apart from a vital, life-giving union with him, you will not only not bear any fruit, but will actually be gathered up and thrown into the fire. But if you have a life-giving connection with him through faith, you will bear fruit and experience joy in your life. It's a familiar teaching. And sometimes when you come to a very familiar teaching, it's good to, to kind of ask some very simple questions to make sure we're not missing the warnings that are there, to make sure we're not missing the blessings that are offered to those who believe. So we're going to ask some very simple questions this morning, lest we miss the warnings, unless we miss the blessings. The first, am I connected to the vine? Am I connected to the vine? The way that you answer that provides a safeguard against presumption, presuming upon a relationship with Jesus Christ because you prayed a prayer at some point in the past, or you go to church, or you mean well, you're really sorry when you, when you do bad things, or whatever it may be. When Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, he is providing for us, or actually he's challenging our presumption. He's challenging our presumption. So first, very simple question, am I connected to the vine? The second, am I abiding in the vine? This touches on our actual day-to-day -day experience of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the difference between union with Christ, that, that salvation that is ours through faith in him of actually being spiritually united to him, union with Christ, and communion 
with Christ. J.C. Ryle put it this way, let it be distinctly understood that union with Christ is one thing and communion is another. There can be no communion with the Lord Jesus Christ without union first, but unhappily there may be union with the Lord Jesus Christ and afterwards little or no communion at all. He that has union with Christ does well, but he that enjoys communion with him does far better. So what happens when you don't enjoy communion with Jesus? When your, when your day-to-day experience is not that of abiding in Christ? How do you feel? You feel exhausted, right? That, there's, there's that good exhaustion that comes from, from good hard work, and then there's that exhaustion that can come whether you're working or not because there's this vital disconnect between you and your source of life, Jesus Christ in terms of your day-to-day experience. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, within that statement is this antidote that he would offer for our exhaustion. So am I connected to the vine? That's, that's a warning concerning our presumption. Am I abiding in the vine? That's, that's an antidote to our exhaustion. But then third, very simple question, am I bearing the fruit of the vine? Jesus does call us in this passage to bear fruit, fruit that involves obedience to his commands. But unlike what we tend to think of when we think of obeying God, which could be drudgery or a burden that's too hard for us to bear, Jesus says, you know, actually in obeying my commands, there is for you profound joy. And Jesus is saying, I want you to experience, he says, my joy. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, there's actually an invitation to joy bound up here. I wonder if we miss that. Again, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You've heard this perhaps since you were a little kid. But let's ask those simple questions. Am I connected to the vine? Does my presumption concerning my relationship with Jesus Christ perhaps need to be challenged? Second, am I abiding In the vine, in my day-to-day experience of Jesus Christ, am I experiencing any of this life-giving union or simply exhaustion? And then third, am I bearing the fruit of the vine? Am I hearing Jesus say that to obey God is actually an invitation to deep and profound joy? So three things. Am I connected to the vine? Am I abiding in the vine? Am I bearing the fruit of the vine? But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, we're thankful, Lord, we, we would be so lost without, without two things in our day-to-day life, your word and your spirit to guide and direct. And so we pray that as we consider this portion of your word, that you would be working through it by the power of your spirit to bring transformation in our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Am I connected to the vine? first question that challenges our presumption. Take a look at these warnings that we see in verse 2 and in verse 6. So verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then jump down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What does Jesus mean when he says that he cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit? Well, what he's not saying 
is that you can be a Christian and lose your salvation. We know that for a number of reasons, but we know it from John chapter 6, just a few chapters before, when Jesus said, all that the Father has given me will come to me. Now, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 says that Christians are chosen by God in Christ, so with a, the, a view to the need for redemption and a redeemer, chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. These are the people that Jesus says, God the Father is giving me. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. So again, back to John chapter 6. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And Jesus says in the same breath, and none that the Father has given me will I ever cast away. So Jesus is not saying, you know what? You could be a Christian. You could be connected to me in terms of having that vital, life-giving union with me and then not perform well enough as a Christian and be cut off and thrown away. What he is saying is that you can think you're a Christian but not actually be joined to the vine. You can behave very much like Christians behave and not actually be joined to the vine. You can be in church every Sunday and not be connected to the vine. You could give great effort to moral reformation, but because you're not connected to Jesus Christ, there's no inner transformation that's taking place. People can say, I go to church, I believe in God that doesn't make you a Christian. You know, how you, you know how you often tell is when you bump up against one of Jesus' commands and it rubs you the wrong way. I'll, I'll take the Jesus of love and justice. I'll take the Jesus of, of mercy and peace. But the Jesus who says this concerning anger and this concerning human sexuality and this concerning marriage, that Jesus I have a hard time with. No, Christians submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in all things. Not all who claim to follow Christ are actually in him. Again, back in John chapter 6, Jesus gives this really hard teaching. In fact, his disciples say, this is a hard teaching. He's talking about his flesh being real food, metaphorical. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, that many of his disciples, so many of those who were following him, again, don't just think of the 12, there were many people that were following Jesus. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says that many of his disciples went away. They tapped out. This is too much. And of course, the ultimate example is Judas. I mean, Judas, who you would think was bearing much fruit as one of the 12 who were so close to Jesus. But, it, but in the end, of course, was, was not only betrayed him, but known by Jesus to be the one who would betray him the one who is not, in fact, in him. So there's the challenge to our presumption. When Jesus says, I am the vine, he's also saying there are branches who would seem to be in me, but there's none of my life in them, and so therefore they will be cut off. Is there any assurance? Is there any comfort in this passage? And there is. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, that would feel really out of context. He's talking about this vine and, and, and branch, this agricultural or ecological imagery, and then he gets into cleanliness. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Well, again, keep in mind the context. This is the upper room discourse. It's just been probably a matter of minutes since he washed their feet. So look back at John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles open. John chapter 13, verse 8. Let's start there. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And then verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So cleanliness then, what is Jesus referring to? He's, he's referring to forgiveness. Jesus says back in John chapter 15, the passage we were just looking at in verse 3, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So this gospel message that Jesus has been proclaiming to them, this good news that he has been calling them to believe, they believed it. And so therefore they are clean in the sense that they are forgiven, washed by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. But in the same way that back in John chapter 13 where they would have to have their feet washed, a way of, among other things, saying, you know what, you're going to keep sinning. <laughs> so too when it comes to the vine imagery in John chapter 15, the branch is going to need to be pruned. Interesting little uh, tidbit, there's actually a connection within John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11, in terms of cleanliness, you are already clean, and this vine and branch image in this. The root of the Greek word for cleaning is actually the same as the root for the Greek word for pruning. So even within there, there's this connection. But the bottom line is Jesus is saying, you're already clean, or in a sense, you're already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you, because you believed the message. So there's, there's grace, there's assurance right here. Even as our presumptions are being challenged, our presuming upon God's grace is being challenged by this imagery that Jesus gives us here, he's also saying, listen, don't forget, you're forgiven. You are forgiven. Past tense, because of the word that was spoken to you that you believed, you are forgiven. Second, Jesus said, you are loved. You are loved. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus uses a Greek word there, agape sen, in the aorist tense. It's a verb in the aorist tense, which has to do with completed action, with perfection, with completeness. He uses that word to describe the Father's love for him. It's complete. Jesus is saying, the Father's love for me is perfect. It's full. And then he turns around and he uses that same word to describe his love for his own. You are loved. Not, I will love you if you remain connected to me and, and then produce fruit. I love you. The same love that God the Father has for me, I love you. You have believed, therefore you are clean. You are loved by me. And then I would say the third assurance within this passage is the simple fact of pruning itself. Remember the purpose of the pruning. So look back at verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit he takes away 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. My wife is an amazing gardener. And um, when she prunes things, I, I used to ask the question, why did we buy that? I mean, there's nothing left. But it always comes back looking better than it had before. She knows what she's doing. She's a skilled gardener. She knows that the best thing she can do to get the most out of that plant is to prune it back to the point where if the plant had words, it would say, stop. Well, Jesus is a master gardener. He is a skilled gardener. He knows exactly what we need. That's why I was asking John to dig through the music because we sang that song, I asked the Lord. What amazing lyrics. Let me read them again. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray. And he, I trust, uh, has answered prayer. So here's this picture of a Christian who's wanting to grow. Lord, would you produce more fruit in me? And the, the hymn writer, John Newton, is lamenting the fact that he does so by pruning him. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Maybe you haven't prayed that exact prayer, but my hunch is you prayed something like it. God, when are you going to stop? And, and God is saying, listen, this is what I do. This is how I answer that prayer. I want you to bear fruit. But the way in which you will bear fruit is as I prune you. And so even the act of pruning itself is an assurance. God is good. All right, so are you connected to the vine? Don't just assume because you, you prayed a prayer at some point in the past or you go to church every Sunday or you do your best that consequently you are good with God. The rest of what Jesus says in this passage needs to be true, not perfectly, but increasingly over the course of your life. Of course, if at any point in my life, if you took a picture, there would be good reason to question whether I was a Christian. But as you look at the, I want to say motion picture of my life, I don't know what it's called these days, but you get the idea, the movie of my life, there ought to be this evidence of increasing fruit in my life. And the same is true for every Christian. It's not that we've arrived. But is there over the course of your lifetime an increasing evidence of fruit in your life? So all of what Jesus says here needs to be increasingly true of you lest you presume upon his grace. But don't miss the grace in this passage. You are clean if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You are loved with the same love that the Father loved the Son, Jesus loved you, and the pruning work that he's doing in you is actually part of the evidence that he is for you. Second, are you abiding in the vine? Are you abiding in the vine? This is an antidote ultimately for our exhaustion. What happens when we abide? We enjoy communion with Jesus. So, if union is that objective reality that we talked about in the first point, communion is that subjective experience of our relationship with him. Marriage is a great analogy. You are never more or less married. If you're married, you're married. But you are more or less experiencing the joy of being married. 
There's the objective reality, there's the subjective experience. Jesus' call to abide in him is a call to experience the joy of our union with him. So take a look at verse 4 and then the second half of verse 5. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Well, there's, we get tired because of that. We're branches trying to bear fruit in ourselves. Verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then end of verse 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' call to abide is a call to communion with him. We need that because we are exhausted. Every year, the uh, American Psychological Association, the APA, does a major study across the U.S. of stress. And they look at people that do not have diagnosable mental health disorders, and they survey them. And what they found in a recent study was this. 47% of adults are having trouble sleeping. 46% are angry or irritable. So, Wendy, I'm nearly part of the majority. 46% 46% are angry, irritable. 45% are fatigued. 40% lack motivation and energy. For children, 45% of children are having trouble sleeping. There's this epidemic of anxiety and exhaustion. Answer these questions for yourself. Do you find yourself rushing from one thing to the next without time to really pay attention to what's going on in and around you? Are you tired, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally? You don't really know how to get rested. But at the same time, is there this underlying irritability and restlessness just beneath the surface of your life? Are you emotionally numb? I mean, if this, I mean, you know, there are any number of other questions we could raise. I pulled those from uh, a book by Ruth Haley Barton on um, spiritual leadership. But any number of diagnostic questions like this that you could pose to yourself that would indicate perhaps that you are running at full tilt in the life of Christ is not something that you're experiencing in your day-to-day reality. Why is that? There are deeper questions that you can ask yourself. What false expectations are driving your approach to life? I mean, what fault? We, <laughs> the, the idea that if you try as hard as you can you, can, you can achieve whatever you want, that's a cultural lie. Anytime you hear, if A, then always B, if that applies to anything in your life, then you, there is some false expectation that you are probably struggling against, and it leaves you exhausted. What limitations are you struggling to accept in your life? What ungodly ambitions need to be confessed in your life? Is spiritual perfectionism poisoning your life? Come back to that verse where where Jesus talks about um, the the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. That's, That's spiritual perfectionism. It's legalism. Paul Tripp talks about it as fruit stapling. Right? I'm not trying to bear fruit in my life. I'm trying to look as though I have mature fruit. So here's this barren tree and I'm stapling fruit to it, which is legalism. It's trying to, it's hypocrisy. And it's exhausting. What do you do? Jesus says, abide. 
Abide in me. Look at verse 7. What does that look like? If you abide in me, and here's the first clue, and my words abide in you, God's, God's word needs to be abiding in us. We need to be spending time in the word of God. We need Jesus' words to abide in us, not be something that you know, we hold out there at arm's length, but something that we hide in our hearts. We need his word abiding in us if we are going to abide in him. And then he goes on and says in verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, complicated passage. We could go later in chapter uh, 15 and see where Jesus says to his disciples, whatever you ask for in my name. And then we can ask the question as we look at all of chapter 15 concerning what Jesus is after, which is transformation into his character. To ask according to his name is to ask according to his will that the things that are done be done for Jesus' sake. And of course, we're in the context asking the fruit be born in our lives. So in a sense, to ask anything you want is to ask that fruit would be born in our lives. But don't miss the point. We're praying. Prayer characterizes a life of the person who is enjoying communion with Jesus Christ. Soaking, marinating in God's word characterizes a person who is enjoying communion with Jesus Christ. I would add one that we often overlook. We're experiencing it in part now, and that's Sabbath. Don't just go to church on Sunday morning. Go to church on Sunday morning. But let Sunday be more than just going to church on Sunday morning. Sabbath, 24-hour period of time in your week in which you do four things. And Pete Scazzaro touches on these in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. Stop. Stop working. How many of you check? Don't answer. I checked my work email this morning. How many of you have checked your work email? How many of you, the first thing you do is grab your phone and you're either checking email or you're checking Facebook or, you know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever? Right? The Sabbath is an opportunity to stop. To stop. Not just your vocation work, but the work of life. Saturday is a tremendous gift. I have not opened that gift in my life. Oh. <clears throat> So I've been here 12 years. Um, it'll be 12 years beginning of September. And for most of my 12 years here and for, for most of my ministry life before that, uh, I had just sinful pride in the thought that, you know, the Word of God says, six days shalt, thou shalt labor and the seventh thou shalt rest. And so I would work six days and not five like mere mortals. What a fool I was. And have been. You know, I mean, we have to deal with this work that we go to, but then there's this work of life stuff that just has to happen at some point. The bills need to be paid. The, you know, things need to be attended to in the home. There's, there's work of life on top of work. And, and in our culture, most of us get to have a Saturday to do the work of life stuff so that on the Sabbath, you're not paying bills or doing those other work of life things. You can stop from all these things and rest rest I love naps 
And I usually take one every Sunday afternoon. When I was a kid, I hated the idea of taking naps. Now I can't imagine not going a week without a nap. But what brings you rest? It could be napping. It could be, you know, it could be playing. It could, whatever the case may be, reading a book. But the Sabbath is an invitation. It's a gift that God is giving you to stop your work, to rest, to delight in his creation. God delighted in his creation. He sat back and looked over the work of his hands and said, it is very good. Delight in God's creation. Go for a walk. Go for a hike. What people, places, and things bring you delight? Enjoy them on the Sabbath. And then, last but certainly not least, worship. Worship, to be with God's people in God's place, worshiping his name. What a privilege. What a delight. And not just on Sunday morning when we're gathered together here, but allow contemplation of God to to characterize your entire day. Sabbath, rest. Where do you start? How do you do it? You know, it doesn't matter. Start start Saturday night at 6 p.m. You'll kind of follow the, the Jewish Sabbath, but carry it over to the Lord's Day. Saturday night, 6 p.m. to Sunday night, 6 p.m. Just picture what that would be like. Saturday night, just to disconnect from work, disconnect from the work of life, unplug, unwind, reconnect, get to bed at a decent time, and then show up Sunday morning hungry, eager, ready to worship. Leave here Sunday after church. Have fun. Enjoy the day. It's a gift from God to you. Sunday night, you know, you got to get ready for Monday. But man, that 24-hour period, what a gift. Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is about drawing near to God. James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's also, parents, a great opportunity to model to your children this beautiful rhythm that God calls us to of work and rest. All right, I got to move on. Third question, am I bearing the fruit of the vine? Am I bearing the fruit of the vine? So am I connected to the vine? Am I abiding in the vine? And then third, am I bearing the fruit of the vine? Take a look at verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to verses 8 through 11. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Again, you've got to step back and think about the context. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's speaking over against Israel, the vine in the Old Testament that God had planted, that God had nurtured, and did not bear for him good fruit. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. In me, my disciples will bear fruit, the fruit that God's looking for. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Jump down to verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is the fruit? The fruit is that growth in in Christ's character and conduct. I don't just mean Christian character and conduct. I mean Christ's character, Christ's life being formed in you, his spirit indwelling you, bearing fruit in you. Paul talks about that in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, self-control, this inner transformation that is 
the work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in you that does lead to actual change in your conduct so that increasingly you are looking more like Christ in your conduct. At the end of the day, the fruit is the evidence that the life of the vine is in the branch. Right? At the end of the day, if there's fruit, there's life. If there's obedience, there's faith. Again, over time. Doing matters. Obeying God matters. But don't ever forget that being precedes doing. Being fuels doing. Being with Jesus is absolutely essential if you're going to do for Jesus. Abiding in Christ in order to obey the commands of Christ. Jesus touches on that back in John chapter 14. We're not going to look at there right now, but verses 15 and 21. What Jesus is saying there is, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Not, hey, if you love me, prove it by obeying me, but the inevitable consequence of your love for me is obedience. And so that's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that we will be experiencing more and more of the love of Jesus Christ on our hearts. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Don't forget the, the fact that grace always precedes law. Even in the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Grace, therefore you shall have no other gods before me. Commands, law. John in 1 John says that we love because he first loved us. Our love for God is the direct result of his love for us. And so Paul prays in Ephesians 3, I am praying that you will know, not just know intellectually, but experience in your life more of the love of Jesus Christ for you. Why? Because apart from that, there will be no loving obedience to him. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to experience the kind of joy that comes with loving obedience. Verses 8 through 11, that's what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is saying there to us, listen, in my life, I obeyed the Father. The Father loves me completely, and I love him. And on earth, I did all that he gave me to do. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And what Jesus is saying is, in that was my joy, and I want you to experience my joy so as I have, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide, Jesus says. Soak in, marinate in my love for you. Let my life flow through you. Grow in your love for me and obey me. And in so doing, you will experience the joy for which you were created. Are you connected to the vine? 
Are you abiding in the vine? Are you bearing the fruit of the vine? The way in which we know these things is through the pruning. The pruning is the evidence that God is at work in us. And the only reason that is comforting and not terrifying is because Jesus Christ came under God's knife. Jesus became a branch, a righteous branch, according to Isaiah. If ever there was a branch that bore fruit, it was Jesus. He lived a perfect life. And yes, Scripture says he was cut off from the land of the living. On the cross, Jesus stayed under the pruning knife of God the Father so that all who abide in him will only ever be cut back and never be cut off. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you have preserved for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking them. And Lord, as with every other thing that you've said, so much of it we're familiar with, but let not that familiarity lead to complacency. Rather, Lord, let it lead to great joy and obedience and love as we learn to experience in full what it means for you to be the vine and for us to be branches enjoying life-giving union and communion with you. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.